Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 78 of Freight 360. We got another super awesome episode coming to all you folks today. This one's going to be a, a pretty good deep down dive with prospecting and how to talk. We're going to talk about the, the different types of personalities that the prospects you'll work with, you know, their personality types, how to, you know, I guess, approach that, how to deal with it, different strategies. Um, and, you know, who better to, to bring on the show to help us out than one of Ben's colleagues, Mr. Will Mesher, elite sales coach. Did I say your last name right, Will? You did. We didn't even practice it. I know. Wow. Uh, does anyone ever mistake it as like Metcher or Metzger or? Yeah. And then every once Metz in a while people will throw it. So it looks like Metzger. And I just say Metcher like catcher. But like every once in a while you get those, those, uh, those calls where people just throw in like an L, like Metzler. It's like you didn't even try. They make you Polish, <laughs> Metzger. Yeah. You're like, what are you doing there? You're just taking the first and the last letters and throwing some stuff in the middle. Oh, I love it. Love it. So it's going to be a great episode. So if you're brand new to Freight 360, welcome to the show. If you've been with us for a while, welcome back to Freight 360. Make sure to leave that review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us, SoundCloud, I don't care. Wherever Wherever you're consuming the content, we appreciate it. You know, make sure to leave that review five stars, leave some, some awesome content. We can read it off. If you want to advertise your, your company in your review, we'll read it off. We'll talk about your trucking company or your brokerage or whatever you got going on. Dispatch service, good stuff. So um, refer us to all your friends in the industry. It's going to be a great episode. We got to hit on sports here real quick. And um, first of all, JJ Watt, right? I, uh, as a Buffalo Bills fan, and you guys can't see this because it's audio only, but I'm wearing my Bills polo. I got my Bills uh, football behind me. Um, NFL is over, but this is when it gets exciting in the offseason, right? You got the draft coming up at the end of uh, April. So everyone's talking about who's going to go where, offseason trades. Bills fans were just hoping that J.J. Watt was going to come and hop on Bills Mafia, but uh, he went to the Cardinals. You know, it is what it is. Um, Baseball's back. So actually, Will, I want to, I don't want to leave NFL. You said off air, you said that you're a KC fan. I am a KC fan. And here's the challenging part. I'm a, I'm a Chiefs fan, but I'm also a secondary Packers fan. And I, some, I know some people are shunning that, but I did live in, in Madison for a little while, Madison, Wisconsin. So I was hoping it would have been a Chiefs Packers Super Bowl, and I was also hoping that JJ Watt was going to go to the the the, the, the Packers. I know that was that was one of the potentially teams. rumored. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there was a handful so, of them, and I don't I don't even know if Arizona was on that list. So when I saw that, I was like, "What the hell?" But uh, hey, it is what it is. There, there's all kinds of rumors about who's going to go where. I even heard on ESPN this morning they're saying that. Jimmy Garoppolo might go back to New England and Deshaun Watson might go to um, Miami or something like that. I'm like, don't, you know, don't take curveballs off the AFC East train right now. But uh, yeah, that's true. Throwing curveballs at us. So, Garoppolo anyway. going to uh, uh, New England. That, that would not be a good thing for you guys. I would, yeah. I would say. Well, 
I mean, that's where he was a backup behind Brady and, you know, never really got any field time. So then he goes to San Francisco and shines and then dives the next year, apparently. So mm-hmm. whatever. But uh, good stuff. MLB. I'm a big baseball guy, too. Uh, got to watch the Red Sox with some spring training yesterday. They're playing. MLB's playing all month. Um, I don't know. Are you guys baseball fans at all? Oh, yeah. Okay. Will is. I mean, what are, what are your like eight teams that you follow in, in baseball? You're, one you're, team. You're like I'm, a, a, I'm a one, a one I, team person. Can I take a guess? Take a swing at it. Uh, the Royals. Oh, come on. I don't know. You're a Chiefs fan. Yeah, that's true. Just because you're, yeah, like I, I would say that I was somewhat of a fair weather fan because again, I'm, I'm in between St. Louis and Kansas City. That's where I'm originally from, Columbia, Missouri. And uh, diehard Cardinals fan. There you go. I mean, Royals, like, sure, they they had their one and done, but that's going to be it for the rest of my lifetime. I don't think they're never going to win. I got to see a uh, a Cardinals game at home, actually. I was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, about eight or nine years ago, doing yeah. some Army work. And uh, who's it, Molina? Is he, like, the hot shot there that everyone just absolutely loves? Or maybe he was. I don't even know. I don't I don't follow the cards that much. But, uh yeah. Old man Molina, know. he's uh, he's been there forever. He just he just signed a one year deal with uh, Mr. Adam uh, Wainwright, so okay. they're they're going to be together one more year, and I think they're trying to make a push this year because they just signed uh, Nolan Arenado. Okay, and so yeah, man, it'll be an interesting interesting year for baseball. Yep, I I dig it. I'm excited. We're not going to have that 60 game mini season like last year, so yeah, you can BS actually last year, yeah. Can actually like uh, not worry if a team loses three or four straight. So then <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Sports realm. Tiger Woods is on the men's. Everybody was wearing black and red to support him throughout that the weekend, was awesome. which was awesome to see. Yeah, yeah. literally everybody wearing black and red. So yep. Have the, have they talked about his recovery? Like, what's that going to look like? Not yet. I, the only thing he, the only thing I think his camps released was a thank you to everybody for all their support through the, you know, Sunday and haven't heard anything since, but yeah, the most you're getting is speculation from folks around the sports community. I've heard anything from six months to two years. People, they're just guessing. They have no idea. Agreed. And I think Rory said it best. He said, look, at the end of the day, he's proven all he's needed to prove in his entire life as it relates to golf. And the important thing is that he's alive, that his kids have a father, and that he is going to be healthy. Whether or not he plays is a distant second, I think, to those things right now. How and, great will it be if he just comes out swinging and, you know. Ben Hogan, baby. Oh, my, yeah. There's a ton of articles that are showing the parallels between Ben Hogan had the career-ending crash yeah, it was a like car 19, accident right yeah horrible car accident in the 50s and he came back to i think that was the miracle of medina after his car accident which was like in fact i don't know it just gives me chills thinking about it. like he came back to have one of the they didn't think he would ever play again and he came back and i mean that's why we're all still talking about him there you go 70 years later well we'll have Incredible. to keep keep following the the tiger progression so we got a great episode here but first we got to talk about our friends over at dat take the guesswork out of freight with dat the dat load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in north america connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers and with the industry's leading freight rate data you can make clear and confident pricing decisions Freight 360 is partnering with DAT to offer your first month for free. Get the tools you need to move more freight at 
Freight360.net to learn more. Or check out the episode notes. We got links in there. Good stuff. Our friends at DAT. All right. Will, elite sales coach. Yeah. I want to get into this, man. So before, Ben, I know you guys are going to kind of take charge on this episode. Um, But first, Will, I I want to, just for folks out there listening that don't know who you are, give us a the quick rundown on what got you to where you, what you do today and what your background and expertise is in and, you know, just kind of paint a quick little picture for us. Absolutely. Yeah. So I actually, uh, freshman year of college, we're going to have a couple freshman year throwbacks in this yes. episode today. Uh, I heard about this crazy summer internship where you're going to go knock on doors, door to door, 80 hours a week and sell educational books. And uh, I was like, man, that sounds really stupid. I should probably do it. (laughs) I was like, that sounds really hard. And uh, went out my first summer and I'm like, cool, I'm going to get this out of my way. Uh, I'm going to use my next summer to be able to relax and look for a real internship. And uh, did it for one summer, had a great summer, made some some good money and decided to do it again and ended up becoming a sales director. Did that for nine years. And uh, we, we kind of joke, it's kind of like the, the Navy SEALs of sales training because, I mean, again, you had you know, thousands of opportunities to talk to human beings and interact. And, and that's going to be kind of the fun part of our conversation today is just navigating different behavior styles. Yeah. And I'm probably a little brain damaged from the number of doors I knocked on. I think it was close to like 40,000 doors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I pivoted, uh, worked for a couple startup companies as a sales director, and then I came on at uh, Southwestern Consulting, and I do one-on-one sales and leadership coaching. So I've awesome. been doing that for about four years uh, the, since the, then. The door-to-door, it blows my mind. It's uh, a lot of people. It's so just, it's ridiculous to them to con- like this. The concept of it. Um, it reminds me of something I read on social media this week. So Ben, I know you're uh, you know, Ryan Stuman, right? The hardcore closer. Will, are you, uh, are you familiar with uh, Mr. Ryan Stuman? I am familiar with him. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So he, he runs a Facebook group. Like it's a private group called, I think it's uh sales talk for sales pros or something like that. Ben, I think you're in the group. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I post, I responded to a post the other day. It was like, um, what did you sell door to door? And the only thing I ever sold door to door as a, I was a boy scout as a kid. So like we sold popcorn, like frozen <laughs> yeah. pizzas, phone books, uh, candy bars. Like mm-hmm. we'd go to bills games and sell them, you know, not door to door, but tailgate to tailgate. But we did, we knocked on doors around the, the community and sold stuff that way too. So it does, uh, it really does prepare you. a lot of those early on jobs you're going to hold, whether somebody works retail or they're doing door to door, like lawn care sales, like a buddy of mine, or like you sold books door to door. Um, it can help shape you and mold you into someone who is not afraid to make a cold call or to talk to a new prospect that you have no rapport with. So there's a lot of, lot to be said about that. And so, so speaking of the topic that I'm going to let Will introduce, Will and I were talking about this off the air earlier this morning and yesterday. I think Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams, one of the co-founders of Vidal Sassoon, is a billionaire and I can't remember his name. We looked him up last night. I think it's like Jean-Paul Giorgio or whatever. And, you know, one of the, I guess, um, God, my mind just went blank. Zig Ziglar's, you know, one of the like godfathers of sales coaching, right? All attribute their ability to be able to sell and negotiate larger deals throughout their careers on that skill set knocking doors, mm-hmm. trying to determine the type of personality that opened it and being able to pivot to be able to deal with that type of personality 
in a productive way and to lead yeah. them better than you found them, right? And yep. that is exactly what we're going to talk about now is in that split second, how do you develop the habits, which then become the intuition that allow you to do this and turn on a dime? Because absolutely, it helps you close more business, but it also helps you deal with colleagues better. It helps you deal with family members better. It helps you deal with all types of interactions with other human beings better. Understanding what makes somebody inherently them and what they bring to the conversation is inherently valuable. And that's what yep. Will's going to kind of introduce and kick off from there. I think it's a great pivot. I dig it. I dig it. All right, Will, talk to us about uh, what is it? navigating personality tendencies. So um, what does that even mean? So, yeah, like different personality types. I think it's important to recognize just some numbers around this, too. Uh, and there's there's all kinds of different studies out there that say different, you know, how long it takes. Uh, but in general, it takes about seven seconds to make a good first impression. Right. So hopefully you can do your best in seven seconds to not sound like a blubbering idiot and be able to deliver whatever message you're trying to do and sound enough confident enough to be able to do it, whether it's picking up the phone and calling somebody, whether it's man talking to a girl for the first time, whatever it is. And the challenging part about this is if you don't land it, it typically takes seven meetings to be able to erase a bad first impression. And I was joking with Ben off air last night at just about, uh, you know, a story where I actually was able to uh, land uh, making a better first impression. And all the way back to freshman year in college, right, I uh, had a group of, of girlfriends this is a fun story and I'm not going to use names or said uh, sororities that were a part of this, but there's all, I knew there was some Greek life involved. In that. <laughs> there was absolutely Greek life involved. <laughs> there was a, there was a certain sorority. I went to the university of Missouri. I'm not going to say it, but they, they had a certain um, stereotype, right? And the stereotype is that they uh, let's say they enjoyed men um, and, and getting out there and having fun, of course. And so I was meeting one of my good friend's friends who was in said sorority and I had been partaking in some, some beverages. So my quick wittedness was not on point, uh, or it was too on point. And she, she had mentioned that she was in the sorority and I was like, Oh, I know what that means. And just drop the ball there. Yikes. And of course, she was not too happy to hear that because she also knew what that meant. Um, needless to say, she was not a big fan of me right off the get-go. And it did <laughs> eventually take seven eventual meetings of being able to spend time and hang out to erase that bad uh, first impression. And, and I also kind of had to erase that bad one myself. I ended up dating one of the girls from that sorority. But needless to say in the business world, we typically don't get those opportunities. And if we're picking up the phone, if we're calling somebody, we're not going to get seven additional meetings to be able to race that. So Ben and I, we're going to have an opportunity to kind of introduce just the different personality types that we run into. And again, there's so many different personality tests out there and, you know, different ones that we could even talk into. The one that we're going to mention, it, it, it's based off of the DISC uh, personality profile, D-I-S-C. And we have four different names that it's more related to the sales and buying world. So okay. that's good. Um, right. Ben, so, man, I'll, I'll kind of throw it yeah. over to you too. 
And we'll cover what these are. So yeah, there's anagrams and there's tons of other stuff out there. This isn't any way to take away from anything else. This is just a simple way to kind of categorize some general personality styles and behavior types, right? So I'm going to cover categories. So we've got four in total. First is a fighter. Then we've got an entertainer. Then we have a counselor. And the fourth is detective. A fighter, somebody that's results oriented aggressive. They make decisions based on what's in it for me. That's a fighter, right? Everybody knows a fighter and everybody knows what that's like when you're prospecting one, right? Would that be like your, your D, your dominant and disc? Similar? Yep. Okay. Correct. So next we've got entertainer. Outgoing, motivated by affirmation. Who makes decisions based on emotions, right? Care very much about the way they're perceived, right? That's an entertainer. And we've got counselor. This is a team player who avoids controversy. They make decisions based on consensus. So it's a personality that tends to look for what others around them are doing to make sure they're not going to rock the boat per se, right? Which leaves us with the detective, right? No surprise here. Detail-oriented perfectionist. They make decisions based on logic, right? That's what there is. So when you kind of dig down into every one of these, right? And that's what Will and I are going to cover a little bit, or what are some of the common tendencies and some of the behavioral traits of each and every one of these, right? So for fighter, we'll start with fighter. So some traits, right? Controlling, demanding, quick-tempered, abrupt. But the big piece here is they've got an inherent fear that tends to drive those traits. And the fear of the fighter is almost always loss of control. That's what they're gonna be avoiding. Their tendency when they feel like they don't have control in a conversation is going to be to take over the conversation. So under stress, that's the tendency of a fighter, right? Why don't you walk through entertainer and counselor, Will? Yeah, so entertainer, uh, extroverted, they're enthusiastic um, and for them, like, and you, you guys know absolutely who I'm talking about when it comes to an entertainer, people that like to be the life of the party, their biggest fear is being rejected. So if you're sitting there and you're like, yep, that's me, you know, you're definitely going to know if you're an entertainer. Um, and, and for, for them, you know, big phrases that you want to pay attention to are, are who phrases, and understanding that's kind of their, their mentality of like, well, who else is doing it, right? They're kind of like, if, if you're going out to a party, they want to know who else is going to be attending, who else is going to be there, right? Um, and even just to be able to identify these people, you know, again, they're, they're, uh, they're extroverted, they're typically unorganized. Um, and, and we're going to get into this, it'll be kind of fun just thinking about because again, if, if I'm not seeing this person, how am I going to be able to identify, you know, what that is? And so there's even just the tone of voice. Um, and, and Nate, just out of curiosity, if you're thinking of an entertainer, do you think they like speaking at a very high volume or a very low volume? Oh man, a thousand decibels. Absolutely. Super yeah. loud. Super, super loud and <laughs> fast speed, right? Yeah. They like talk. I'm almost feeling like I'm an entertainer if I'm the prospect right now. <laughs> I'm a high volume, fast speaking guy. 
<laughs> which is exciting, right? It's a it's an exciting conversation to have. Those people, uh, they're going to talk about sports. They're going to talk about what's going on with their life. They're going to talk about, you know, their their basement remodel, right? And they'll easily get off track, which Ben and I, we have traits of entertainers. And then you have your counselors. Um, counselors, they're kind of like, I, I joke about it. They're kind of like the kumbaya, let's hold hands and, and let's make sure that we have a consensus for the team. They're very cautious. Um, they want consistency. My fiance, she is definitely a, a counselor. She wants to make sure that everybody feels comfortable in their situation. She wants to make sure everybody has the drinks that they want. She is very giving, right? So when you look at the challenge with dealing with a counselor, they have a huge fear of change. So if they're used to doing business with a certain company, it's going to be hard for them to change if it's not a consensus as a whole, right? And if you guys can probably guess, they also like talking very low volume and very low speed, right? They don't want to shake the boat. They're very cautious about what they do, um, which leads us. Right. And when we talked about, you know, how you pick this up, if you're over the phone, right, they're going to ask lots of how questions, how does this benefit the rest of the company, right? How will this compare with, you know, maybe what we're currently using, right? How, 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 right. Which leads us to the detective, right? We've got detail oriented, Mm -hmm. analytical, unemotional, but the biggest thing that I think to pick up on when dealing with a detective is what is their fear? Their fear is of making a mistake, right? Because typically at some point in their life, whether it's subconscious or consciously, they made a mistake and they have made it resolute. Like I said, whether it's consciously or subconsciously to not make a mistake and not make a mistake because they acted without all the information. So from their point of view, that fear is driving them to consume as much information as possible because they believe that for some reason, somehow that's going to give them insight into the future. Unfortunately, no amount of information is ever going to tell you what tomorrow is going to be like, but that's usually their sticking point. And they ask lots of why questions, right? Why is this better than what I'm using right now? Why does it cost so much? They want to know why they should take the risk that they're terrified of, which could lead to a mistake or a poor decision, right? Now, let me ask you guys this. So looking at these four different categories, is there any correlation between the length of a sales cycle for one versus the other? Because what I'm taking out of it is, you know, in in my day job, I work with folks that uh, it's, you know, a mix of recruiting and and seeking out folks that are looking to partner with my company as a freight broker agent. And um, some folks reach out to me, some folks I reach out to, sometimes it's a referral. Um, But the, the detective one stuck out to me. There are certain people that you can tell they've been burned from other companies in the past and they let you know 10 different times in 10 different ways what happened wrong. And they want to make sure that so you're telling me a thousand percent, it's not going to happen with your company, right? You guys don't do it this way because this happened to me and they'll tell you three stories about it. And then there's the entertainers who, if you just have a good conversation with them, you build rapport. They're like, hell yeah, let's go. I'll go into let's battle. Let's do it. So yeah. well, you're right. That's it. So, and there's so, obviously your fighters and counselors in there, but it, so I'm curious, the sales cycle, the detectives in my experience take they might take six months before they're like, okay, you've answered all my questions 50 times. Or the entertainer's like, sounds good. Let's do it next week. 
You're right. So the entertainer is the easiest to get over the emotional buying line because they're already running at that speed. So I can just basically meet their emotion, take them over the buying line and get them to a decision. The risk with that though is buyer's remorse with entertainers because I can get almost anybody that's an entertainer to make the decision. The problem comes in an hour later or the next day or a week later where they're down off that emotional high and you're not there and they talk themselves out of it. And that's the risk. So you're absolutely right. Shorter sales cycle for an entertainer, much longer for a detective. And I will, why don't, that's a good pivot, I think, right into talking about some of the modifications and some of the things that you've learned on how to deal with a detective to maybe shorten that sales cycle. So you're not just letting them dictate the speed of the sale. Well, and, and, and you're spot on there because again, detectives, Nate, like that is such a big fear of theirs. I don't want to make a mistake. Maybe they've been burned. Maybe they're just very analytical in a sense that that's just something that they don't want to have to ever deal with is a mistake. So they get to deal with, uh, you know, the good old analysis paralysis. I'm going to collect all the information. I'm going to get all of it, right? And then once they get all of it, they'll typically sit on it because they have consumed so much that their brain is like, okay, well, it's hard for me to make a decision. So like Ben was talking about, how do you get those people over the buying line, right? And again, of course, part of that is just making sure that you're presenting tons of information that they can be able to soak up. They love numbers, graphs, anything that has to do with Excel, analytical brains, right? Giving them all that stuff. But to get somebody over the buying line, we use a, a, a technique and I will keep it really simple because I think it's something that can be uh, changed in really any sales cycle, but it's, it's called the PPP close. And the concept behind it is that it's a, it's a product price and performance close with a logical direct closing. So, again, if I'm keeping it bare bones, right, the, the product is basically you asking them, hey, do you think this is something that you, you'd be able to get some use out of, right? And from there, if the answer is yes, because what we want to do with these questions is logically walk them through what it takes to be able to make a decision. So, if I'm buying anything, I want to know if the product is actually something that I'm going to be able to use, right? The price, right? Do you think based on the value that you're receiving that the investment makes sense, right? And I know we could, of course, change this language around a little bit, but the, the basic premise is, is the price good? Are you good with that price, right? And then performance. And basically, performance is going to be on, on you or, or the company you work with, and it's very simply just saying like, Nate, man, based on our conversation so far, do you believe that we're going to be able to follow through and deliver that customer service on what we discussed? So when people are fearful of being able to make that, right, give them value, show, show them that you can, you can do that and then turn around and ask them like, hey, do you think we're going to be able to deliver on that? I love it because you're essentially by asking the questions that way and, and positioning them and wording them that way, they're convincing themselves by the way that they answer the question. So, and it made me think about, um, you know, as we related to transportation and freight brokerage. So um, Ben, let's say you've got a, and Will, I know you're not a, you're not a logistics guru, so don't feel, you know, if, if this is over your head or it doesn't make sense, but Ben, let's say, you, you know, we got a listener who's a W2 employee, right? 
and they work for a company that does a ton of produce. They, they, they're very good with refrigerated units and they've got a lot of good carrier contacts in, um, in produce, right. And transfer in, uh, the, re, the reefer capacity. So they can use that PPP. Their, their product is essentially additional, uh, capacity in refrigerated transportation. The price, obviously you can, you know, that's, that goes easily with uh, freight brokerage based on whatever the rates are for the market. And then the, um, was the, the other P was uh, performance. Performance. So then yep. you could, you know, you could tell, I guess you, in your discussions, you talk about your past experiences with other um, shipping companies that ship produce or whatever it was that was temperature controlled. And we're getting it there on time. We're using quality carriers. We don't have a lot of claims, yada, yada. So you tell this whole story and then you can position it that way with the PP and P. So um, I, I would say any niche in the freight, freight brokering world is going to apply the exact same way. Well, yeah, here's, I mean, flatbed world, right? Hey, I've established, we've agreed in the conversation, Nate. So if I'm hearing you right, you're telling me you could use more capacity right now. Is that the case? You got a yes yeah. there, right? Yep. Okay. Now we're going to go to the next side, right? Like, okay, so we've got product. Now, Nate, I mean, if we're able to get you, you know, that type of capacity that you're looking for and to be able to meet all of your procurement requirements, if we're able to do that at a fair market rate, that's something I, I'm guessing also would appeal to you or would help you solve some of the problems we've talked about, Nate? Yep. Nate, I mean, let me ask you this. If we're able to get you the capacity you need and we're able to get you the fair market rate and we're able to, you know, get you a better on-time percentage than you've been getting from your current providers... Is there any reason why you think we shouldn't be moving forward to, you know, at least talk a little bit more or possibly even start working together? Yeah, that's good. I'm sure you'll probably get a couple objections along the, yeah. the cycle there. Well, I don't make the decision or we can't add any new brokers right now or blah, blah, blah. You get all those, but it's, it's good to, to be able to think if you can analyze who you're talking to on the other end of the phone or at the other side of the table, or as you're walking through somebody's facility, trying to, you know, onboard them as a new customer to understand how to speak to them, what's important to them, what they value. And you, you kind of either bring yourself up to their level if they're more high energy, or maybe you, you come down to their level if they're lower energy and you address the things that they want to have addressed. So that's, well, that's, uh, that's, that's absolutely good. right. Your octaves and the tones of voice you use are how you navigate this verbally and auditorily over the phone, right? If I'm in person, I'm likely going to be using gestures. I'm not going to cross my hands. I won't cross my legs. I'm going to sit in an open way so that it feels inviting to you, right? If I'm over the phone, I don't have those tools, um, but I have vocal variety. I've got rate of speech, and that's really how I'm going to manage that, right? Like even I just dropped to a counselor tone right there. Like I'm going to talk definitely differently to somebody as I'm trying to genuinely build that rapport, right? But if I got to get you over the buying line and I've got to get you excited, I'm going to pick up my rate of speech to an entertainer level and I've got to get you excited about working with me. Nate, you're telling me, you mean to tell me these trucks are falling out one out of five every day? That's got to be driving you nuts, right? Those are my tools, yeah, right? Good stuff. So here's a question for you guys. How do you, how long, so I got the seven seconds it takes to get that first impression. Um, how long does it take for the salesperson to be able to identify the, the personality type or the category of the person on the other end of the phone, the buyer? That's a how great long, question. How, you know, and how do you investigate that? How long should it take? 
So it's really funny is Will and I have been talking about this over the past couple of days. He's been in town with me and we're working on well, getting better at our craft, right? Coaching and getting people to the exactly where you said, right? And, you know, doing this, Will's been doing it longer than me. And we were really diving into, and I was asking him like, how long do you see it take to get a client? Because the reality is, is if you rely on somebody to tell you whether or not they understand something, they will tell you before they're proficient because usually they care about their your perception of them. The reality is, is it takes quite a bit of time. And I can only speak for myself in first saying that it probably took me a good six, seven months to be able to do this instinctively. And it really comes from anything else, right? Whether you're working with a coach or whether you're paying somebody to teach you this, it doesn't make any difference. You've got to practice this every day to get proficient in it. And one of the things I have clients do, and I'm not, we'll kind of talk through how he does it as well is, I have them identify at least four or five people every day. So we'll cover the material and I go, I want you to write down five people that you interact with today and just do quick nomenclature. You don't got to write a report, just write, hey, I talked to Mary. I think she's a D, a detective. Why do you think that's the case, right? And the more you start doing that, the better you get at it because your second or third call with maybe Mary, you might've thought she was a detective at first. Maybe the second call, you've got a different impression. By the third or fourth, you should have a better idea of really where they are, but you should also be able to assess how well you were at determining what you thought it was on day one, if that makes sense. Because you always should be improving on this. And I, I like kind of will add to that as well, but it, it's hard to guess because it's a function of how much time they're going to spend practicing this is, I guess, the short answer. Well, and, and man, Nate, that's such a good question too. Just like how, how do you typically determine and how quick can you determine somebody's personality type? And I think, again, if we're over the phone, like we do have to pay attention to their, their, their vocal variety and how they kind of address you. And even just asking a simple question, and this is frowned upon, of course, and in, in sales in general, but the question like, how are you doing today? You're going to be able to get a good <laughs> response I love on how the you type say of person so you're talking to. In sales. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, how are you doing today? And it's like, this is a sales call, isn't it? Right. Oh man. But again, just uh, whatever question you're asking them, you know, and if if the answer, if you were to ask me that, and I'm like, yeah, Nate, I'm I'm doing good. What can I help you with? Fighter. Fighter, right there, right. So being able to to analyze that one. and That's and. You know, again, with Ben too, it's like we, I love doing that with clients. Like, hey, I want you to identify the people you work with. What's your wife? You know, what, what personality type are they? Are they? You know, what's your husband? Like, what personality type are they? And to simplify this, guys, it's really like there's really two types in a sense. If we break it down, it's either you're task oriented or you're, you're people focused. And so, task oriented, the detectives and the, the fighters, we need to get everything done as quickly as possible. People oriented, the counselors, let's hold hands and then let's be really excited about doing that with the entertainers. Like you're typically going to be able to find out what type of person you're talking to in the first 10 seconds based on the questions that you're asking, based on how they're engaging with you. And I think the big, the other thing that I kind of want to add to this is what we're really talking about, right, is emotional intelligence, right? And there is a great podcast, Tim Ferriss, it's his, it's episode 434. He interviews a guy, Jim Detmer, and Jim Detmer says something that's always stuck with me. He goes, before you can be emotionally intelligent, you first need to be emotionally literate. 
And our society does not favor emotional literacy. What we teach our children and people is that you should avoid emotions to make decisions logically. Well, what happens over a lifetime is people get more and more distant from their own emotions until they are not even aware of what they're feeling and why they're feeling it. And Jim's approach in that episode is it's a great how to is he has you start by going at any point in time, start identifying emotions you have. Stop for a minute. Feel that emotion and then try to write out what that emotion actually is and try to understand what that message is your body's trying to tell you because that's all an emotion is. It's a signal from your body to your consciousness to let you know you should be aware of something. Fearful, happy, whatever it is, you should start with yourself. So before you go identifying anybody else, I always have my clients spend a few weeks really working on their own awareness what they bring to the table. It's way easier to identify tendencies in others once you've first seen them in yourself and you can truly identify what your personality traits are. Love it. This is such a good topic. Uh, I know we got a, you know, only so, so much time to be able to talk about it. And I would love to revisit it. But the, the big uh, thing I want to leave the topic with is that it, I think in sales, whether you're a sales manager um, or you're in sales yourself doing it day to day in the trenches. This is probably one, this approach to it is probably so un, it's probably so overlooked and never really even considered, you know, even in freight brokering, some companies just give their reps a script, call these people and read this script or find your own voice in this script. Well, you haven't, that doesn't even equate for or account for the type of personality on the other end of the phone. So really good stuff. Will, I love it. Love it. Love it. So we'll uh, we'll definitely have to to dig more into the the personality tendencies and the different categories. But the your homework lesson for all your listeners is like Ben said, think about the prospects you talk with this week, right? Maybe try to figure out are they the fighter, the entertainer, the counselor, detective, and you know what can you do better in the future on those calls to be able to be more, I guess, uh, catered to their personality type. So good stuff. Got a. Um, couple Q&A questions here to wrap it up. But first, got to mention our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. I don't care if it's technology or marketing or sales, you name it. Lean has been killing it lately. They've come a long way in the last 10 years or so with their nearshore staffing model down in Colombia, South America. If you're trying to grow that back office or get a couple of dispatchers or sales reps there, reach out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. The link is in the episode notes. They can hook you up with contract-based folks to help you out. And they are extremely talented and proficient in the transportation world. Check them out. That is at leangroup.com. All right. Three questions here. I'm going to fire them off rapid fire. We got like four minutes left. What is a blind shipment and how do I prepare the paperwork? Ben, in a nutshell, blind shipment. Basically the receiver doesn't want, or I'm sorry, the shipper doesn't want the receiver to know who the shipper is, right? Mm -hmm. There's usually a third party involved. It's usually a third party involved, yep. but that's the general premise. That's it. And I think uh, usually it would be a supplier doesn't, you know, it's to prevent a lot of times back solicitation. Um, so let's say I'm a distributor and I'm drop shipping from my supplier to my customer. Well, I don't want my customer to know who my supplier is because they might just go directly. So maybe we're going to create a bill of lading. And instead of putting the pickup, we're going to have that be blind and have me listed as the, uh, the shipper. So that's a blind shipment. You can prepare it specifically on the bill of lading. Um, next question. Any other options besides factoring? I'm leaving 
the W2 world and debating, uh, debating between getting a, licensed as a broker or being an agent. Uh, I don't know of any other options besides factoring other than cash flowing your own business. That's it. I mean, the other options are going to be to go likely to traditional financing, using maybe some collateral you have, like your own line home. Line of credit maybe from an, a bank. Yeah, yeah, a line of credit from a bank that can be secured against equity you have in your house. You might have some investment properties, or maybe you have a portfolio of you know marketables that you could borrow some money against. And that's yeah. some other traditional financing that could be used in place of factoring. They, they brought up the agent route. That's an awesome way to do it. If you're considering the agent world, just let me know. Happy to explain it to you if it's something you're unfamiliar with. But essentially, you can do your sales and operations and the brokerage company that you're an agent for provides the, the cash flow process for you. All right, last question. Looking for a TMS for under $100 a month. What are my options? Well, if you don't know what a TMS is, it's a transportation management system. It's a platform that freight brokers use day in and day out to do their operations, um, to track their prospects and all that stuff. Under hundred bucks a month, I'm going to go with the Send TMS, Ben. They got a free version and I think yep. it's like 70 bucks a month for their full yep. version per seat. Check them out. Um, good questions. Great CEO. We got a chance to meet with him a couple of weeks ago. They got a yeah. great product. They've Damn. got a ton of great support yep. so. for the product out there. So Good stuff. Well, Will, awesome to have you on. Um, we'll make sure we put a reference to Will in the episode notes if you want to reach out to him and, uh, you know, figure out a little bit more on fighters, entertainers, counselors, and detectives. So good episode. Yeah. Any final closing thoughts here, gentlemen? Will? No, Nate, I just wanted to thank you, man. It was it was fun. I dig how you guys spin in a little sports and kind of what's going on in the sports world. And uh, yeah, happy to do this again. Got to have it. Got to keep it fun, man. That's, that's it. That's it. So, yeah. all right. Another great topic. And remember, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.